0: Well, we're in the final week of this series leading up to Christmas Eve. In a sense, we call it Advent. It's the way we prepare for, anticipate, remember, and live again freshly in the coming of Jesus. And in this last week, we're going to really look at this aspect of peace that Jesus came uniquely to bring peace. I want to ask you right now just to consider for a minute what robs you of peace, just even consider what are the things right now that rob you of peace They can be small, they can be great, they can be internal, they can be external. Maybe if you 're in, in a home today and you 're with other people, turn and share that with each other. You as well we 'd love to have you share it online. What robbed you of peace right now and even as you 're thinking about that and considering it i was I was reminded myself of what at least in my own life, how I spend time trying to Resolve peace when it seems like there's chaos, and I don't know how to manage it. And I was remembering back when our kids were little, and several of them were kind of uh, very needy of pacifiers to keep them quiet. And I don't know if any of you, who our parents, have had this phase where your children, if they lose the paci, you're in trouble. And I know many parents they've just put pacifiers everywhere because, like, whatever it takes, I want peace. I'll just put them all over, and they'll find one one way. Like we all want peace. It's funny. This is a side note. It Doesn't relate to peace, but I actually, this is how strange my mind is. So this morning, I I have a mask that I'm wearing in the service, other than when I'm up here, and I had left it left it in the room, and then I had to went back to my office. I just forgot, and I somebody else came in, and I thought, oh, I've got another mask in my office. I can put that on. I realized I have masks everywhere. I'm like a baby with passies. They're everywhere I go, and I can just grab one when I need it. It's pathetic. Never thought that would be part of my life, but it is. They're in my coats, they're in my cars, they're in my house, they're in my rooms. It's just sad, isn't it? I told you it didn't have to do with peace, but it gives me peace because I have them. I want you to think, though, about those areas that rob us of peace. Is it fear? Is it worry? Some of you would say, it's just the people around me, man, they do things that are just dumb, and I just cannot, I've got to tell them, this is not right. It can be our circumstances, it can be finances that rob us of peace, it can be different things going around us, relational strife can rob us of peace, uncertainty, how many of us are used to plotting our way through life, and right now we plod but have no idea what will change and what will change and what will change. But we live often without peace. It, a self-awareness for me in this has been that I have assumed I have peace through much of my life. And the circumstance over the last nine months has revealed to me there are a lot of aspects of my life I think I don't need, but they're part of what give me peace. I haven't realized that there are lots of things I anchor to trusting that will bring peace, even though as a follower of Jesus, I would say Jesus is my only peace. It's kind of revealing the chinks in the armor. It's revealing the unique things about us that we also adhere to. What I love, maybe more this year than ever, is we are probably more amenable and open to considering our deep need for the peace of Christ, because the other things that we often rely on, we can't right now. And even for those who do, perhaps it's something we can ask God inside, Lord, if I'm clinging to other pieces, because my life really is pretty comfortable Have I gravitated to the wrong place and not really? Because make no mistake, the peace in circumstances is not the same thing as the peace of Jesus. Now we're going to look at a passage. We're going to look at the very coming of Jesus and an aspect of his call that literally is peace. When we do this, I want to take you in before we look at this account and remind you Or maybe tell you for the first time, we don't always know these things. You shouldn't feel badly if you don't know all the history of Scripture and all that's gone on. Israel's story and Israel's life, and Jesus comes as a child of Israel, that they have gone through a very difficult time and are still in it by the time he's coming. They've been exiled. They've been all over the world. They're brought back, some of them, to Israel. So it's like dangling a carrot. They actually have their temple back. They have the city walls back. But guess what? They still don't feel peace or freedom because Roman oppression is over them in everything. And make no mistake, it's not for nine months. This is for centuries. They've lived wondering, will we ever have peace again? Now before we get into this telling of Jesus' birth, I wanna tell you one more, as we're gonna see here are shepherds. And that plays out kind of uniquely for two ways. One is that God in the past, in Israel's early history, shepherds were highly lifted. He even calls himself a shepherd, and he tells them one day it'll get so bad that your own shepherds, your own leaders won't be there for you. I myself will come and restore things. That's the positive side. The bad side is the shepherds themselves had become lowly nobodies in culture. It was the lowest of the low in terms of vocation. They were not well regarded. They were kind of set apart or just dismissed. Now, that's important to understand because, remember, this is where we're going to go in the story. Why? You should just ask the question, why would God show up to shepherds? So, with that in mind, we're in Luke's account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There are four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each kind of tells a different aspect. It's like a diamond. Oh, this whole diamond of his life is beautiful. Let's look at this aspect. Oh, we'll look at this one in this gospel account. So we're looking at Luke's. Two of the four accounts actually tell of the birth of Jesus, this one the most significantly. And we take it up here in Luke's account, chapter two. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. <laughs> now, I already said this, that the shepherds are meager. They're not well thought of. So let me just ask you to consider this. Why does God send an angel to shepherds to announce this? And a side note, if you're somebody who's asking questions about Christianity, oftentimes people will outside will ponder this as if, well, the Bible's written to convince you it's not true. They really worked hard to kind of manufacture all this. Here's just something to ponder, and this is true of much of the accounts. Why would you pick shepherds to be the ones that discover it if you're trying to manufacture it? Nobody thinks well of them. Nobody would have any response to them. Let's instead maybe consider, why would God choose shepherds to announce the coming of Jesus to What's it say about who Jesus is? Just kind of consider that, and we'll continue on. I also want you to consider with me this beauty that the angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shines around them. Now, if you're like me, I try to picture it. And I tend to get into, you know, kind of a CGI format, like how can we make this look real? What can that appear like so we can get just a glimpse of it? But I want to take you well beyond that. Just to kind of get in the mindset, we're shepherds, we're not people who are thought well of, and this angel shows up. Now when it says the glory of the Lord shines around him, we have other pictures of this in scripture. What does that feel like for a shepherd? And it's not simply a shine and a glow. I'm telling you it means the atmosphere changes. Everything looks differently when the glory, the literal presence of God shows up. Isaiah, who's a prophet that lived centuries before this, has this beautiful picture of being having a vision, and God shows up, and all he says is, woe to me, I am a ruined man. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And ultimately what he's saying is somehow, to experience the very unfiltered presence of God, not only do I see the majesty of who he is, I actually am much more aware of my own mess and brokenness. So I want us to get a picture of this because this beautiful, powerful, holy, unbelievably majestic angel, not even God himself, but an angel, causes these shepherds to freak out, not just because they're scared an angel shows up, but the very experience they have not only reveals how amazing God is, but it exposes their own mess and brokenness, and they are scared. Scared. You know, we're not gonna stay here in the passage, but I wonder what it would be like for God to lift the veil and let us truly see Him as He is. What it would do both for our awe of Him and our self-awareness of brokenness and our need for help. I know for me, I've actually been praying for that this week, a bit fearfully, but praying that God would somehow meet me in this and I might see Him differently. And we're going to continue on, but I don't want you to miss that. And I don't want you to miss, what does it say about Jesus that he's showing himself to these nobodies with no reputation and no interest? What's it say about who he is and how he sees people and why he's announcing it to them? The passage continues. The angel says to them, don't be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. I love this The angel knows these guys are freaked out. They are beside themselves in their brokenness. And rather than even confronting that kind of disparity of holiness, the angel just picture the angel kind of reaching out and going, hey, hey hey, man, don't, don't worry about this. I'm telling you, it's not something you need to be afraid of. What I'm about to do, what's happening that all of history has been waiting for is a moment that will change the world. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, oh, I'm telling you, Whenever I read this, I'm reminded of how many people I know that just think they're not worthy of it, that God wouldn't want to relate to them. There must be many more people that are more worthy, more significant, and even the way Jesus comes, and even the way the angel visits them is saying, no, no, you don't think you're worthy? That has nothing to do with my love for you. I see you in your brokenness, and I have good news. And it's not just for you. He says it's for all people. What's gonna happen is for global significance. It's for everyone. We live in this time right now when people are so caught up in your God and their God and there's lots of paths and what can we do? I just wanna point this out to you. And this would be true for us as Christians, but even if you're watching today and you go, I don't know what I think. If it's true what we espouse, that Jesus actually lived, died, and rose again, that God himself became flesh, then it is globally significant. And we shouldn't be asking which one and who, we should be asking, is this real? And if so, what does it mean? And the angel immediately says, hey, it's for everybody. And then the angel goes on, today in the town of David, a savior's been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord, this will be a sign to you. It's gonna point to something, guess what? You wanna know what the sign is? You're gonna find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. I love this picture of a sign. For those of you who are not familiar with this idea of what's the city of David, what do they mean by a savior? What's it mean he's the Messiah, the Lord? Let me give you a little picture of this and even for those of us who follow, I hope it will be helpful. Israel tells one story from their history. It's the centering story. It's a story of them living in Egypt as slaves. Picture it as they're in this country and they have no way out. It's as if a wall is built all around them in Egypt and there's no way out of their slavery and bondage, no way to freedom. And after 400 plus years, God breaks down the wall and he actually builds a bridge to freedom first through the death of of these lambs and blood on the walls or on the doorposts that gives a Passover, that gives the angel of death protecting them. They're then invited to leave and they get out and ultimately a bridge is built as the waters part and a new bridge to freedom happens. That their whole story hinges around this beauty that God takes them from slavery to freedom, that he takes these walls and tears them down and builds a bridge to new life. Now that's central to understanding because from the beginning though Israel had this, they were told, prophesied again and again and again that one day a son of David, someone from his very line would come and would free them in a whole new way. What happened in the Exodus was a picture of something much bigger and much better. That's what he's talking about here and then he's saying this, there'll be a sign that what's happening, this manger is a signpost. The same way The shepherds are the ones that are told. These nobodies, Jesus is born in a lowly manger, and that's a sign to us, not only that he's coming, that they're gonna see it, but it's also a sign of how Jesus moves in vulnerability, in lowliness. He meets us. Ah, it's just beautiful the way this unfolds and the power of it. And then it's not enough that the angel leaves it there. I love this. It's almost like suddenly the whole... The whole choir shows up. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God and saying, and I'll show you what he says, but I'm one of those people, I love to think about this. So I'm already overwhelmed by one angel. They've already told me this great thing that's gonna happen, and then suddenly there's a whole group of them. I mean, tell me that that's not gonna just freak you out. Come on. Like, whoa. I think we often run past scripture instead of letting ourselves engage in it. Imagine you've just sensed the power of God through an angel. You're already overwhelmed. They've moved from this fear and your own brokenness to wait, he's telling us the day's coming. All that we've been waiting for is about to happen. He's telling us to go see this little baby in a manger. They don't know what that means yet. And now a bunch more show up. And what are they gonna say? This is what they say. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. This is really where we're going today because it's describing peace, but I don't want you to miss out on the beauty of this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. It's speaking, the angels are singing about how the presence of God in heaven always is full of glory. But now they're giving a picture. The same way what we see in heaven is there, it's now coming to earth. What always is in heaven is about to invade earth. Whew. I bet you forget, if you're like me, church has this beautiful prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) The angel's saying that's coming right now. And then they describe what it's like. It's peace, it's peace, it's peace to those whom his favor rests. Really, to humanity is the picture of it. So it begs the question, Jesus came to bring peace. What does that mean? For most of us, we think of peace as the absence of strife. We think it's taking the noise and finding a way to pacify it. We think of peace as the absence of fear. We think of peace as the absence of strife. We think of peace as the absence of worry financially, relationally, even in our plans. We think of peace as the presence of comfort. But biblically, peace... This wonderful word shalom means something very different. It doesn't mean the absence of, it means the presence of. It literally means the presence of relational peace, of being right with yourself and with each other, of a sense Jesus coming to make us right with God and with each other. It's beautiful because we don't just have this, we have how Jesus lives and dies and rises, we have his own teaching, and then we have all of scripture to help us understand what does this mean? What did Jesus come to do? What does this little vulnerable baby come to bring that we've never had? Let me take you back to one of the prophets to remind us of this or tell us for the first time. Isaiah describes it this way, this is a prophecy about when Messiah comes. It says he was pierced, for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed you see where we have to start is being reminded or knowing for the first time you and i are broken people we have broken relationship between us and god there is a wall between us not because of something he's done, but the way we live. We may not be Adam and Eve, but we live in the very same posture. I don't need God, I wanna be like God. I wanna live my own way, and a wall goes up. And it's fascinating, when you think about us being broken, this is a simple description of being broken, because it describes transgressions and iniquities, and it describes how he pays for both. Transgressions simply means the ways we miss the mark. It's crossing over a boundary line that we shouldn't have crossed. It's doing something and going beyond. It's not making it to where we should, whether intentional or unintentional. But iniquities are those things we twist and do in our own darkness and our own struggle. Brokenness. I mean, there's a self-reflection here. It's just a simple thing. Are we, in an ongoing way, aware of our brokenness? You see, as Christians, as those of us that follow Jesus, we understand we ask for forgiveness and that's, this is the pathway to getting it. What we often miss is that we think of it as a one-time activity, which it covers, but we don't live in the ongoing need for it or the ongoing awareness just of how broken we are. And pretty soon we start to think more highly of ourselves and we crust over and the wall starts to go back up. I mean, it's a beautiful thing Jesus comes to bring peace. He comes to tear down the wall between us and God. He comes not to bring us out of a physical slavery, but to bring us out of the slavery of sin ourselves because our transgressions and our iniquities cause our demise. It helps me to think of it as brokenness because oftentimes when we talk to people outside the church and we just say the word sin, which is true, they think of us as thinking we're better than others. And what it is is we all understand we're broken. And we cannot fix what is broken. And I love this. Jesus' way to bring peace is to actually be pierced. He's pierced on the cross. To be crushed for our iniquities, he actually crushes and takes on the crushing weight of it through his death. And then the beautiful thing is by him taking his punishment, our punishment, that is, we get peace. Him taking the wounds, we get healed. He comes, peace on earth, through what we call his redemption, his sacrifice and substitution for us. Do you ever wonder why it is we can't live in peace when that's at the core of us because our circumstances are frustrating? This is the only way I understand it. I think we don't really understand how deep his forgiveness is and how deeply we need it. And if we're starting to crust over to others, or even to him, it's because we don't fully grasp it. If you say things like this to yourself, you know what, I was bad, but I'm a lot better, I'm definitely better than these other people, you're probably losing the peace of salvation God came to bring. God tears down walls and builds bridges man, let's not build them back up through self-righteousness. Let's not build them back up thinking we're better than others. Let's not build that back up thinking we're right and they're wrong. And here's some of the ways we do it. I read my Bible more than other people. I pray more than other people. I know more about God than other people. I'm right and they're wrong. That is not understanding the peace of God's forgiveness. Because when we do, we understand what he's done for us, not how we've achieved this on our own. And we walk in it differently. Could it be that the things that are robbing you of peace right now, robbing me, are not external, but they're actually exposing the internal mist that we've been rebuilding walls of our own self righteousness? Or for those of us among us, maybe you've never even known that Jesus brings peace through his loving forgiveness and sacrifice. And in case you don't understand that peace is attached not just to us, but to others, let me show you what Paul says to the early church. He says, for he himself is our peace, meaning Jesus is, who's made not just us individually, the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier. He's taken down the dividing wall and set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Kind of, we're not living in this way now. And then he continues, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Did you know the peace Jesus came to bring is not just between you and God, it's between all of us and God. It's funny when you get to some of the New Testament early followers that are apostles, they sometimes even skip saying love God just to love your neighbor, not because it doesn't matter, but because when you really do that, you can love your neighbor. And make no mistake, I am not describing a peace you can have with the people around you that you just do and work at. It means the more we understand the wall taken down by Jesus in our life, the more we understand the bridge he builds to him, and the more we understand just how broken we are, the more we look at other people differently. It occurred to me, I was was thinking back about one of my kids that used to always... uh, We, you know, when you're a kid a lot, you talk about good guys and bad guys and we'd have somebody come in the house and you would go, you a good guy or a bad guy? And, uh, you know, at that age, it makes a lot of sense. But I look now and go, I think as adults, we do the same thing. You a good guy or a bad guy? And it's amazing to me, the walls we build up that kill our peace. We build them up generationally. You know, my generation, we see it right. You people younger, you need to listen to me. If you'd listen to me, then you'd get it right. We're broken because you are not respecting who I am. We do it with genders. We give disrespect from men to women. We do it with different kinds of backgrounds, socially, economically, where we live, how we think. We do it politically. Talk about an area that we have made bifurcations. You're this or you're that. And somehow that connects to whether we can live at peace with one another. We are dead wrong. What if you and I started seeing our brokenness? What if you and I stopped looking online and seeing what people write and post and like and deciding that's another one against them? What if you and I stopped sharing it with other people and talking about individuals that builds a wall, not a bridge? You know, it's occurred to me, my own battle of this is always when I move into a win-lose situation It isn't even about whether I'm living in the truth or not. It's about being right. I need to win. You know, I have found the group I'm most angry about right now are the people that think they're right and treat other people poorly. I'm doing the same thing that others do. Isn't that pathetic? I can't believe they think they're right. They're so bad. I just did the same thing. I know... There are battles between husbands and wives. There are battles between parents and children. There are battles going on between generations. There are battles going on with different people groups. And by the way, let me not have us miss this. Paul says it's a dividing wall between groups. You and I always tend to think of individuals. I'll change this relationship. Think of any group that we're not like. And Jesus came to bring peace between that. It's not just individually moving, it's collectively moving. What if you and I stopped saying this is wrong and that's wrong and started saying, how can I move towards? How can I take a wall down and build a bridge? How can I live differently? (laughs) I mean, it's simple. The peace of Jesus takes down walls and it builds bridges. You wanna know how we build it up? You and I increasingly discover just how broken we are and increasingly discover just how loving Jesus is. We increasingly depend on him, and make no mistake, this then transfers to how we are with each other. I just wonder today if what we're missing isn't that our circumstances will change, isn't that we can control anything, but you and I begin to say, God, I cannot love the people around me with your love unless you move in my life. What if you and I started saying, God, I lay down my need to win and be right, God, help me to see the people around me with your eyes. What if you and I moved towards to understand instead of correct all the time? What if you and I stopped talking about people behind their backs and started loving people and building them up to others? Jesus came to bring peace. Paul goes on to say it's peace to those near and peace to those far. It doesn't matter. You and I have got to let go of the need to win. And we must Both discover the peace Jesus has and pass out the peace he has. I want to pray for us. I think for many of us, I know we feel the conviction, man, I am not building bridges. I'm building walls. And I think there's a time today to confess, God, help me to stop being so judgmental. Stop being so needing to win and start being someone who brings peace. And then I think there's some among us who have never known that you don't have to run this alone, that you keep thinking, I'm so broken, God would never meet me. Oh, God meets shepherds that are forgotten. Oh, God shows up in a manger that nobody would. Guess what? He cherishes you, and your brokenness is no more than anyone else. You just see it better. And maybe for you, it's responding today. I want to lead us through that together. Let's pray. Lord, I am asking for peace. God, I pray very specifically where we have kind of built up our own walls of self-righteousness that you'd tear them down and build a bridge back to you that we would become more and more humble and gracious at just how great you are and just how in need we are. Lord, I pray for any among us who are saying, I thought I was unworthy, I had no idea you loved me this much. Would you just whisper to them how much you love them? Would you help them, whether it's right now or in the days ahead, to just ask you, Lord, forgive me? Would you be the one that actually takes my punishment? Would you be the one that literally is pierced for me, that's crushed for me, and that gives me life and healing? And Lord, would you even help them to say, Holy Spirit, fill me, I receive forgiveness and life. And then, God, for those of us who follow you, could you help us to stop building these walls up? Stop listening to the culture around us that's always finding ways to separate. And God, start walking in humbleness and look at others with your eyes and look at brokenness with your heart and build bridges to those different than us, both individually and collectively. God, move among us. Help us find a peace that we will have no matter the circumstance. And help us to walk in it in your holy name. Amen.